0: And I'm questioning whether or not it's shut or not because I've spent so much time doing these compulsions. And they, like I said, they work for a little while. Or, and then suddenly you're obsessively thinking about it again.
1: Welcome to Free Willing with Carden of Milk. I'm Carden Wyckoff, global disability advocate and a wheelchair warrior. This podcast shares stories of people with various disabilities and shines a new light on accessibility topics. Our goal is to knock down barriers so we can roll through life a little easier and build a community to do this together. I'd love to hear what you think at the end and feel free to text me at 470-588-1215. We welcome you on our journey towards equality for all. I have one of my dear friends, Rebecca Bascom, in the house. Hi! <laughs> uh, we used to be college roommates back at University of Georgia, and I wanted to bring her in today and just talk about mental health and the importance of it and what her journey has been like um, with OCD, depression, anxiety, and so... I guess I wanted to start out today. Just introduce yourself, say who you are and what you do. And <laughs> yeah,
0: I, um, my name's Rebecca Card and I met in our senior year, I guess, of, of UGA, which unfortunately was so late because we absolutely had a blast living together. Yeah, um, with yes, with my crazy cat. Um, we both love cats, so <laughs> it was, it was a really good fit. Um, I think. Just something that has been so great about our friendship is we've learned and taught each other so much related to completely different disabilities and just things that we can, you know, always learn more about to be to be more understanding of what's going on with other people and you know i've always been so appreciative of that aspect so i'm happy to be here today so we can talk more about it yeah awesome okay so let's dive into it
1: um tell me about when you were diagnosed what you were diagnosed with what were some of the initial symptoms um, and what has been your mental health journey?
0: Sure. When I was diagnosed, definitely at some point when I was younger, but my experience was not, I had these symptoms. I went to some kind of counselor or doctor who was an expert on mental health and they immediately diagnosed me. So I, I would say that. I definitely had symptoms and was experiencing issues with depression, anxiety, um, obsessive compulsive disorder from the time I was probably about seven or eight. And then since then it's, it's definitely just changed and manifested in different ways, um, throughout my life. What was it like going
1: through your head of when you first realized that your world kind of changed upside down a little bit?
0: Definitely. Um, Everyone's experience is different. When I was a kid, I was very, a a young child. So from one till the time I started having problems, I was very, very, very pretty happy. I was described as being just a very smiley, sunshiny kind of kid by my parents. And it really was almost overnight that it seemed to, I took a transition and in hindsight, I was experiencing anxiety, but obviously as a seven whatever, eight year old, it, it wasn't obvious to me, you know, that wasn't a term I had heard, but mm. um, I definitely was just experiencing this immense fear to I'm not even sure what and it was inexplicable. And it just completely changed my life to where I just wasn't as happy. And it, I was struggling. And I would say I was anxious before I was having problems with feeling depressed. And, mm. you know, being that young, you don't even know how to put words on it. But after starting to get anxious and realizing this was a pattern in my life, that's when I started feeling more depressed about it because I was just like, wow, is, is this what's going to be what life is going to be like? And, you know, as a, I remember as a kid, I would think, well, you know, I have two older sisters and it's funny. They seem so old when they're, at an age when they're older than you, but then you get to that age and you're like, I'm a baby. I don't, (laughs) I don't know anything about life, but they seemed so old and together when I get, got there. But, you know, so when I was a kid, I would just say, well, when I'm 10, I'll feel better because Mm. I'll, I'll have a better handle on things. I'm growing up. So, Mm. you know, just, I, I was like, well, surely with time, this will pass. Um, this is just, you know, almost like it's almost like you you want, I wanted it to be like a cold or something where, you know, you have a cold, you take some kind of medicine, you rest, you do this and it goes away and you're fine. And that definitely wasn't what it was like. But I did that a lot of my life growing up where I just was like, well, when I get to this age, I'll feel better because I'll just have this much more experience and I'll be older. And this is not something that's going to carry on. And obviously I'm I'm 26 now, and it's, it's it's definitely still present, and I've done a lot of work in my life, and I have ups and downs, but it's absolutely still part of my life, and uh, I imagine it will be in some sort of way for probably my whole life, and just depending on the day, I'm more okay with that than I'm not. Um, Yeah. (laughs)
1: Describe a typical day for you or like describe some of the thoughts so that others who may not understand what it's like to have those anxious thoughts or maybe the depressing thoughts um, or the compulsive elaborate on what OCD is for you because I know it's such a wide range.
0: Definitely. And it's a good question. Then I'll probably talk about different parts of my life because it's definitely been so different. Just depending on where I'm at in my life, it, um, it, it's tricky sometimes too, where if I get my OCD related symptoms under control in a certain aspect. It's, it almost, it can manifest into something completely different. So I would say an obvious time was when I first went to college, is when it got really bad. And I had so many intrusive thoughts related to worrying that something bad was going to happen or I didn't lock something and, um, obsessively thinking about how someone was going to break into my car, um, because I didn't lock it. And I would say this is just a very classic example of, when I was 18 and I first went to school and, you know, it wasn't like I was having thoughts where I'm like, wow, I'm so stressed out. This is clearly happening because of, of this big transition in my life. You know, sometimes I think I'm completely, this is just a part of life and I'm doing it. And then suddenly I'm having more symptoms and signs and just having more, um, intrusive thoughts and related to things I'm obsessing about. And then, feeling the need to do compulsion. So at a time where compulsions were very prominent in my life, I would do things like I would lock my car. And, you know, when you're a freshman in college, usually you get the worst lot or anything in relation to your yeah. dorm. So I would lock my car. I would ha- stand at my car. And I have days like this still today where I have trouble leaving my car, even though I just heard it locked when I was in college, all the way back to my dorm, which was a 15, 20 minute, you know, ordeal. And then I, by the time I got to my dorm, I was still so panicked. I would end up walking all the way back and I would do that multiple times. Some days were worse than others. So, you know, that's just a, um, a classic example of ways it can just immediately get in the way of you doing normal things in your life. Cause that's taking away time from your life. And unfortunately, you know, the more in my experience, the more you do compulsions, it, you, you feel like you have to do them and they help for, they help quote unquote for a minute or a little while. And then you're like, well, actually, did I actually lock my car? Mm -hmm. And then you're checking again and then you're checking more frequently. And, you know, I had a point in my life where I moved home for a semester and was seeing um, a counselor more regularly and helping me through this stuff because I got to a point where it was more than just let me check the door, like I'll wriggle the handle and obviously that proves it's locked. And then it would be even my house door at my parents' house where I would check the lock and it's clearly locked, but you start not believing that it's actually locked because that compulsion isn't, it, it wasn't really working anymore. And, you know, I think a scary point in my life was I would, it got to a point where I actually started believing sometimes it wasn't even about the door being locked anymore. It was actually open. I wasn't seeing what was actually happening. And it's very scary because, you know, I had a certain awareness to that, you know, it's almost like sometimes I view it almost like as a separate person outside of me, because that's a little easier than just taking it on as this is who I am. But at the time I, I really was just so upset with the fact that I'm like I'm would stand at a door sometimes and I'm looking at it and it's clearly shut mm-hmm. and I'm questioning whether or not it's shut or not because I spent so much time doing these compulsions and they like I said, they work for a little while or and then suddenly you're obsessively thinking about it again. Um and so obviously I got to points where I just wouldn't even leave my house because I didn't want to deal with the sheer panic and concern Mm -hmm. that I was doing something where someone was going to break into my house or I left a stove on. And a lot of times I wouldn't have even used the stove and I was still concerned that it was on. Um, so that's, that would be another example. Um,
1: when you told me when, when you first moved in and you told me that you had OCD, I immediately went to the, the regular biases of OCD, of thinking of, like, Monk, the television mm-hmm. show, of, oh, everything has to be so orderly and so clean. And um, for me, I remember even I usually just throw all the utensils from the dishwasher into the drawer and I don't sort them, and I was like, oh, crap, Rebecca's going to think I'm, like – out to get her or something, and I should make sure that everything is orderly. And so those are some of the, would you say that those are some of the conscious biases of OCD, that um, there's this order aspect to it, and there isn't a way to, to really get over it?
0: Sure. I think part of it is just understanding what obsessive compulsive disorder actually is, because I think the misconception there is just and you were doing it in such a kind way, you know, you were concerned that you were doing something that would interrupt my day where I would just be so upset about it. But part of it is just, it's funny because things like that wouldn't have bothered me at all as far as my anxiety level. Um, but that is something that could potentially, um, really disrupt somebody else if their compulsions were related to more organizational related tasks. So, I never had that problem, but it is, it is something you hear all the time where people just, they don't understand what OCD is, where people are doing compulsions to try to combat what's going on with these intrusive thoughts or these obsessions. So, you know, it's a two-part thing. So it's not as simple as just, Oh, let me straighten this picture or let me reorganize the silverware. Now someone may feel the need to straighten something or get something just right as far as an organizational tactic, but uh, that's not everybody's experience. And, um, so yes, I mean, it is a common misconception and you'll hear people say, Oh, I'm so OCD. I have to have this straight, or I have to organize things in a specific way. And, That's there's, I think, a level to a level like ranging from not organizing the silverware at all to really, really wanting things organized where people do feel like I have to, you know, organize this or I won't be able to leave or something's going to go very wrong. And that's where it's getting when it's more disrupting your day and it's related to intrusive thoughts. That's more aligned with it. It's not just about I like things really organized or. I need this to be in perfect condition. And, you know, it's almost most likely it's probably not about the silverware at all. Right. So, yeah. And what are
1: some of the tools or thought processes? um, As you said, you went into counseling. What, how has that helped you? And what are some of the, I guess, the practices that you've learned to combat the compulsion definitely or uh, let me make sure i get that right so the tools did the tools help to um combat the obsession or the compulsion part of it or both
0: both really so a classic example and just kind of a i think really a 101 strategy that i was taught when i was 19 especially when i was having compulsions or obsessive thoughts and com- wanting to do compulsions related to the door being unlocked or the stove or something like that um let's say i would have a thought and i was trying to leave my house and i was like the door is not locked and i'm experiencing this sheer panic and just you know wanting to turn around as i'm driving away from my house and one of my therapists had me in those moments practice Going through rating the severity of this concern. You know, I was only to go check and actually do the compulsion if the actual concern was so, was really severe. And it's interesting. And what's also very frustrating and sad and, you know, alienating about OCD is just, Most of the time, you really know that this isn't going to fix anything and you still feel the need to do it. And so that's why this strategy was very helpful because two parts you're not beating yourself up about having these thoughts because that just makes them the thoughts worse anyway. You know, you're acknowledging, yes, I'm having this thought, I'm having this concern, I'm feeling all these things related to this, but then you're also. You're validating that this is happening, but you're also deciding the level of whether or not this needs to really interfere with your life at this point. So that's still to say like, okay, yes, I'm having this thought and it's real. It's I'm concerned about it, but what do I need to do about it for real? And that's where, you know, if I was leaving the house and I was, okay, I'm so I'm freaking out right now. I left this door unlocked. I really need to go back. I would say, okay, well, what are what are the chances I really actually left the door open, you know, this or that? And it's let's just say I did one through three. One, it's not a concern. Two, maybe there's a concern. Three, it's like you need to go back and check right now. And also a part of it was too like, well, what if you did actually leave the door unlocked? Okay, well, I'm actually only going to be gone for an hour and I live in, you know, a very like friendly area and it's Two o'clock in the afternoon, and my mom's probably going to be home in in an hour anyway. That's a one. Obviously, I, you're just going to have to k- just keep going. You know, obviously, it's okay that you're concerned, but it just keep going because that's a one. Now, I'm going to be gone for 24 hours, and I actually can't remember locking the door. Maybe that would be more of a concern. And I'm the only one who's there, and this and that. You know, that's you know, you can you can tell when something is. Like, oh, actually, I really actually can't remember <laughs> locking the door and I actually think I left it open. Like there really was a difference in in that and I could recognize that. So um, doing that helped significantly. And the more I did that and the more I did situations where, OK, I'm leaving again and I'm going to have to deal with the door again and I'm going to work through it and think through it, that's when it started getting better. Now it can end up manifesting in another way, and you just have to keep doing it, like the stove. That would be where it's like, oh, I didn't actually use the stove today if I'm being honest with myself, so that's a one. I'm not going to go check if the stove is on.
1: And would you actually honor that?
0: Yeah, because I – Because you have to, right? Well, or- and you know, you can do whatever you want, mm-hmm. That's and that's the thing. And – at some point, especially when I was doing so badly and I was starting to run 30 minutes an hour late to things because I was having such a hard time leaving my house or I was skipping things and not seeing people because I didn't I i was a mess, you know, that's where I was like, I need to try something, you know. So in that sense, it's always a choice, even when it doesn't it didn't feel like a choice. And I was like, well, I'll, if maybe can help me. I'm going to do everything I can to try it to my fullest potential. But I have been experiencing OCD-related symptoms since I was seven and through um, a significant part of just my developmental period. So this is very much ingrained in me, um, you know, and that's really hard to change. That's – it's really hard to change. And I think I will actively have to, to work at it throughout my whole life. Um, it's not something where I, you know, one day was like, well – I don't have OCD related problems anymore. Yeah, no, it's something you you I will, don't
1: just like wake up one day. No, it's it, all gone. It goes just back, back to me.
0: like what I was saying earlier, where you have, you want it to be something like, okay, well, if I do this, this, and this, I will heal. Just like if I had a bacterial infection and I took an antibiotic and I got a lot of rest and I drank a lot of water and then now I'm quote unquote better. It's not like that. It's something where some days are going to be better. Some days may inexplicably be worse and I I couldn't tell you why. I can just say it for some reason today I'm just I'm struggling a lot. There's always going to be changes in life that are significant and even if they're good, like you know, I started a new job in September and that was a good thing, but it was such a a huge change. It was a complete career change. It was a a complete shift and even though I was glad to make that change, I still was struggling so much for a while just with these tendencies again, um, because it just was, it was completely different than what I was used to. So anytime my, my, as much as I try to control and have routines to things, because I recognize, you know, how much not easier, but it just seems like, let me just try to eliminate as many changing factors as possible, which that takes away from your quality of life too, because you're just, it start, the more you do that, the, the harder it is to just deal with changes Then you stop wanting to just do things as much, go out with people because there's just too many factors that you can't control. So, but I have to be careful of doing that too, where the more I try to control those things, the more I start taking away from those. Like, oh, well, if I just change this, I can, I'll, I'll be fine. But then it's like, okay, well, now this, this, it's something else is sprouting up where it's like, no, actually, this part bothers me too. Okay, well, let me take away this. Let me, let me just try to change all these things and control all of these things so that I can, um, so that nothing could possibly go wrong and that's not not possible in life, obviously, so.
1: During these times when you have big changes, what are some of the other outlets that you look to to help your mind through these big changes? Is it your cats? Is it music? Is it writing? Is it, like, what are things that you do?
0: You know, there's definitely things that you you know, as much as you talk about trying not to control certain aspects um, or make things very cons- like the same in every aspect as far as dealing with situations, there are certain things in your life that in my life that I do that are consistent, that are healthy. And I'm, I remember asking a counselor at one point, what's the difference between doing, you know, cause they would talk about rituals and it seems interesting to talk about rituals because. We also talk about them being so bad as far or not, you know, just not in your best interest because you suddenly become dependent on them. And I almost answered my own question when I asked it and I didn't realize it, but one of my, um, therapists just pointed out, she was like, well, it's, it's not in your best interest if it's something you have to do to be okay mm-hmm. in the sense that it's like, you're feeling the sheer panic over not doing it. It's something that's supposed to assist you and it'd be a form of self-care essentially, but it's not something that like, let's say I just had a long day and didn't get to journaling and which is, you know, journaling is something I do. Um, writing poetry is something I do where, you know, I would have points in my life where suddenly I was beating myself up and having all these like clearly just very intrusive thoughts about just, you are never going to get better. You're not going to be okay because you can't commit to doing this every single night. But that's when it becomes unhealthy to have those, you know, kind of rituals where, that's supposed to be something that is good for you and that is um, just helping you and being nice to yourself. And it's turning into something where it's another thing for these disorders and these anxious thoughts and all these things to attack you and where you're at, then it's changed. But so I say all that to just say, you know, I have two wonderful cats.
1: <laughs> and What are their names? <laughs>
0: Leo and Olive and um they're little monsters yeah and but they are little <laughs> monsters we can't say what carden nicknamed leo but <laughs> but it was very it was very um very fitting <laughs> i really just light up when i see them and i think when you're feeling very depressed and you have things in your life like cats they really just represent hope and just something good so even if you can't find that the hope or something good in that day for whatever reason, it could just be having a bad day. Um, it's just, it's nice that they're almost a symbol to just good in my life. That's helpful. Um, I mentioned journaling. I mentioned poetry. Um, that's journaling is something I think everybody could benefit from. I think sometimes people are like, well, I'm not a writer. I'm not doing this. And it's like, it's not for, (laughs) that's not for anyone else to read. That's really just, writing something down really helps you think through, um, things differently. It's more than just having a conversation in your head. It helps you, it feel like it's not just stuck in your head. You're not quite so alone. And it also helps you process things and maybe even help you deal with it or come to a conclusion about it better. Um, I definitely believe in, Um, my poetry is something I hope to share with people. I'm getting up there as far as how many poems I have. Um, yeah. So, um, I'll try to put that out there and that helps a lot too, but that's something I like to do. So Mm -hmm. if you don't like writing poetry, please don't feel like you have to write poetry. (laughs) Um, and you also wrote a book. Yes, I did. Tell me about your book. Yeah, I, um, I self-published a children's book that I think I wrote when we lived together. Yeah, um,
1: it happened.
0: It did. It did happen. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote it a lot in between classes or possibly during class and um, sometimes skipping class. But it is essentially it is a book about a cat who named Blue Cat Typical. and he yes of <laughs> course I know I'm just uh, honestly what Crazy people are going lady. to learn about me <laughs> after this is I'm a cat lady exactly so hopefully <laughs> if you get anything <laughs> out of this Rebecca I love cats is a cat lady <laughs> but um so Blue Cat is very upset at the beginning of the book because he can no longer nap and. I picked napping because it's just something you associate with cat. People even say like they take cat cat nap because he could not nap anymore. He felt like that took away from his identity as a cat. And he was like, I have to find a way to nap again. And, The book is his journey to go speak to someone who he associates with being wise, so his grand cat, to figure out how he can nap again so that he can get his true cat identity back. And on the way he meets other animals that also are experiencing changes where they cannot do things that are very much associated with the kind of animal that they are. But because of those changes, they are... They're actually trying new things that they never would have tried if the ability to do whatever they normally do hadn't gone away. Um, And they're actually a lot happier. And Blue Cat at first rejects this idea, but also is concerned about not ever getting the ability to nap back. But really, it's just a story about coming to terms with the fact that life changes in ways that you really don't expect And also it just doesn't turn out the way you hoped for or planned at times. But because of those changes, because of everything that happens, it ends up possibly being better. It could be as a result. And you may not have even tried those things if it hadn't happened, if things hadn't happened. And, you know, I'm definitely – I'm not the kind of person who says, you know, everything happens for a reason. I think sometimes things just happen and they're – you know, it's a, it's understandable that everyone wants to m- make a reason, but, you know, I've had things happen in my life where, you know, I just had to kind of say, well, this, you know, I'm not sure why this happened and I may never know, but I'm going to try to move forward from it. It's nice when you can look back and at least say, well, it's not because this happened, but because I had to make a change, I found something else that was even better. And that's really what Blue Cat ultimately ends up doing. Serious spoiler alert of this of this children's book. But he's significantly happier by the end of the book. And where can we find the Blue Cat book? You can buy it off Amazon. Yeah, you can. <laughs> yes, you can. Um, no, yeah, but I
1: think the Blue Cat book is such a testament to your story as well. Right. Sure. I mean, even my story. Yeah. Um, just anyone really who was given a set of cards that – they feel is not what they expected or a set of cards that like the good cards were taken away from them and they're only left with bad cards.
0: Right.
1: And so how do you overcome that? How do you just continue to march forward with what you're dealt with?
0: The reason I wrote it was not because I'm an expert at applying this to my own life, but because I wanted to be better at it. I wanted, and I did it as a children's book, even though I think really anyone would like it. It's, um, The reason I did it that way was because it was things I wish I had had ingrained in me as a child. And as a child, you don't know that you're like, oh, well, I actually need want to start worrying about my coping skills now. Or um, I just I have such a hard time with change and being overly nostalgic about things that actually probably weren't even that great. But in hindsight, you know, you just look back and you start making things better than they were or you start, it's, it's hard to, it's, I'm not present. I'm thinking about the past, but I really with this book was me trying to process, okay, well, this is where I'm at and this is how I'm going to proceed. And I'm going to, it's, it's not that you don't ever look back and think about things fondly, but you know, there's a balance where you, you really need to be where your life is right now. It's in your best interest to be what's be, be thinking about what's going on with you today and occasionally I look back fondly but not be dwelling on what's going on previously because that's when I feel more depressed and, or thinking about too far in the future because that's when I feel very, very anxious. So really, that's the reason I wrote it. Not de- Definitely not an expert, definitely something I still struggle with, but I, I feel like that book represents me definitely make, trying to make that transition in my life.
1: And it's such a powerful story. I love it. I read it all the time. I'm glad you it's do. It's by my bedside table. I love that. I'm <laughs> glad you like it so much. <laughs> and also when you're going through these times, do you obviously have an incredible support system? What are ways that friends, peers, coworkers can do to check in on you? Um, obviously, we don't see anyone if we want to quote it a disability as a pity story or right. any sort of like, oh, woe is you. But we're all struggling with something, right? And what are ways that friends can check in on you?
0: Sure. I would say it's especially when with me, and I'm sure other people relate to this more so or less so, you know, everyone, it's hard to be vulnerable and transparent sometimes. And Even just communicating to my family. So I I have two older sisters, a mom and dad that I feel this way or to friends that I feel this way. I don't, I don't need people necessarily to even be too specific, but just it's nice when someone just checks on me because it's hard to be vulnerable sometimes and. I don't, I don't need anyone to know necessarily all the terminology or so are you having a lot of intrusive thoughts or anything Mm -hmm. like that, but just, you know, just a knowledge that there is something that very much is a part of my everyday, and that some days are better than others. And my siblings regularly just check on me and just see how I'm doing. And that goes a long way. Just I'm like, oh, they see me. That's especially helpful on days where I feel like I'm not even seeing me clearly, you know, or thinking about me clearly. I'm like, well, they're seeing me. They're thinking about me. And I appreciate that immensely. It, I think another way people can support people th- who are struggling with different mental health issues is, and really any kind of disability is just having an awareness of it. You don't have to be an expert. And we're so, Fortunate in the sense that we really can just get online and Google anything, and as long as you're looking at credible sources. You could have a basic knowledge of something in 30 minutes, an hour, and just depending on how much time you want to spend on it. But uh, an example would just be if someone tells me they have some kind of mental disability and I've had people in my mental health disability and I've had people in my life do that and I'm not familiar with it, I go online and read about it. I have a basic knowledge of what's going on and that way I can better support them. I mean, they even have things that are... How can, like, you could even Google supporting someone with OCD or, you know, supporting someone who is, who does have muscular dystrophy, you know, Mm. and that can go a long way and it doesn't take much time, you know, and obviously everybody's different, but there are basic understandings that you can have. That just goes a long way, I would say, too. You know, it helps you understand how different the thinking process is with obsessive compulsive disorder. I mean, I regularly have said to people, When trying to describe it, I, I almost wish you could just watch, you know, I don't, I don't ever wish it on anybody. I just want them to be able to be in my head for like 30 minutes, just so they can understand it. Because sometimes it feels like there really aren't, even though I write and I spend a lot of time thinking about these things, sometimes it feels like there are not words to describe or to explain how rough it can be. Because, you know, you start saying things like, well, I can't stop thinking or I, I'm having intrusive thoughts and it just it doesn't have quite the power that feeling and actually being immersed in these situations does. I definitely have written a short story about it and I feel like that depicted it pretty well. But even those situations are just one example and that was very much related to more the obsessive thoughts and compulsions as far as checking things goes. Um, but you know, that's not necessarily my every day to day at this point in my life. So, so part of it too, is just, it's really, really hard to describe.
1: (laughs) And, um, kind of just living back to the big changes that you have in your life. One of them was work yeah, that you had recently Mm -hmm. in the fall. And what was it like starting a new job, applying for a job? How do you disclose or do you disclose that you have anything wrong with you We want to classify it as that.
0: It's interesting because when you do apply for jobs in the U.S., and I imagine it's similar, maybe a slightly different form, but... There is a spot where you can mark if you have a disability and also if you would need accommodations for anything. Um, And you can always go change that later. But essentially, when you apply for jobs, you are asked that and you sign. Um, And one of the disabilities listed on the main form is actually obsessive compulsive disorder. And almost every single time I will say no. No it's interesting because if I, I've, I've had times where I've applied for jobs and I'm like, well, why do I say no? Or, you know, what about it? Is it? And I've had times where I'm like, well, maybe I will say yes, because this is a real thing that absolutely prevents me from doing regular day-to-day tasks at times in my life. Like I understand. And then I have intrusive thoughts like, well, you, (laughs) why are you doing this? You know, this is, you know, you don't deserve an an accommodation or this or that. And I almost don't want like that's me not wanting to deal with having intrusive thoughts or anything, you know, related to an anxiety disorder that I have about that. And it's interesting because it's like, why am I still having trouble accepting this as a very much a part of my life that really prevents me from doing regular day-to-day things. But it's it's just, it's really hard at times. I don't remember what I selected when I applied for this job. <laughs> and now that I think about it, I don't know what I ended up doing. I want to get to a point where I feel that I can say, yes, I'm struggling with this and this is what can help me because why not? Why wouldn't I want to do something in my best interest to help me perform my job to the best of my ability? And why do I view it in such a way where, you know, it's hard for me to be that vulnerable with someone? You know, I think we're shifting in jobs now where, you know, there used to be things you didn't, you just don't say in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And it's nice because you can see that shift. I feel like as I'm getting older and I feel like it's night and day different from even five years ago where I talk to my coworkers about my life to a certain extent. You know, you spend more time with those people than you do with your chosen friends or your family. If you're close to your family or your chosen family, if you, you know, you choose who's in your family. And, why don't we want to be a certain level of transparent with the people that you work closely with um I think it's more fear yeah exactly I understand Feeling why like people judge you yeah or- for sure I absolutely when I say why it's more like I understand why but I'm glad we're working to change that perspective because it's necessary we spend too much time in these jobs to not be living. In making decisions and having accommodations or anything in your best interest mm-hmm. for you to thrive.
1: Like it could be working from home X amount of days sure. per week for the days that you can't get out of bed or the days that you don't feel like the door is locked right. when you are going through one of those, would you call it an episode or just a season or how would you describe it as?
0: That's a good question. Um I think in my, I refer to it, As having a bad day. And then even after that, I shift to just saying, you know, I'm feeling anxious in this moment because, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't want to start at 10 a.m. being like, this is just a bad day because I could turn that around. And it's almost like, yeah, it just I don't I don't even know if I categorize it as anything specifically. It just seems like something is just more off today than was another day.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Is there anything else you want to share? Any advice you want to give? Any any final thoughts?
0: Um, I think it's very easy to feel alone in struggling with mental health issues. And it's understandable because obviously nobody's in your own head or no one's in my head. So to a certain extent, like this is my issue or whatever's going on with me. But I definitely, if I see someone posting on social media about something related to disordered eating, which is something I struggle with, or related to obsessive compulsive disorder, I reach out and try to support because I know how lonely these things feel. You're not alone And I am glad that we're getting to a point where people are trying to be more communicative about these things and they are reaching out for community and support. And I'm happy to support anyone going through any kind of disability, you know, or experiencing anything because I want to I want to know more. I want people to teach me about what they're going through. And there are people all over who want to know what you're going through and want to walk through those experiences with you and want to try to understand. So try to be there for other people and accept those who want to be there for you as well. Um, I'd also say just one more thing about mental health in general. I think it's still people feel that the term mental health is immediately associated with having issues, but we all have mental health and we don't have to wait till a point where we're struggling To address what's going on with our mental health, Pete, you can do things if you identify as having being in really good mental health. If you don't have a disability, if you don't struggle with depression or anxiety, wonderful. But there are still things we can actively do, no matter what stage you're at with your mental health, that are in your best interest, and that is forms of self care, and that helps you stay more in a spot of having good mental health. It isn't just people who are. you know, struggling in this current moment. And it's not, oh, well, this person's doing much worse than me and they have a reason to talk about mental health or anything like that. It's something that I think we should regularly be checking in with each other on. It's something... It's in your best interest to always be aware and just be working to do things and no coping skills and um, just different things you can do that are helping you and could help you should something change drastically. So I think that's probably a big key that I I hope is shifting as well.
1: Building more empathy with each other and building a community. Right. Understanding or at least taking a stab at understanding what it's like. someone else to Mm -hmm. live through a different lens and that's what you're here on this podcast exactly talk about is just a day in the life of Rebecca what is it like to go through the days that you go through and how we can all just be better supportive of each other
0: definitely I absolutely believe in you know it's 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 another thing that I try to do better at every single day but There are times where it's very hard to be vulnerable and transparent, but it's something I'm working towards doing more and it serves me well when I when I'm vulnerable and transparent with the people who in my life who have my best interests at heart. And that's really the definition of community, I feel like, is being and building that just people who have your best interests at heart and want to help you grow and build and just forming relationships with those kind of people
1: so well great thank you so much rebecca yeah thank you uh, for, for having story. me this was this
0: was fun <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right bye
0: everyone bye
1: i'm so thankful rebecca came in and shared her story about her journey with mental health issues ocd depression anxiety and even a slight touch on eating disorder. And it's so important that what she mentioned, mental health isn't just when you have issues. It's an everyday thing, and it's so important that we're constantly doing self-checks. Something that one of my managers started before our team meetings is a mental health check-in where it's called red light, green light, yellow light. Red light, are you super stressed? Where are you at? How can we help you? Um, you're just overwhelmed to the maximum. Yellow light is you're a little stressed, but you're managing it and things are just kind of coming and going, putting the fires out one shot at a time. And then green light is like, you're ready to go. You're not stressed. Let's get this day going. And that is so powerful because it's great to hear what other teammates are feeling and what they're going through. And it does build that community because it ends up being where we're all like, okay, well, how can we help those red lights? How can we help those kind of yellow lights? Just to make sure that we're keeping an eye on them. And then another thing that we're doing a work is a mental health certification where we've partnered with a third party to come in and offer a training course for our employees and that is courtesy of Ability Force, which is Salesforce's Disability Employee Resource Group. So there's so many ways that you can tap into learning more about mental health and ensuring that your peers and your coworkers are keeping it top of mind because our brain is a powerful machine and we gotta make sure that it is working as well as we can make it. As always, if you liked this episode, go ahead and give it a five-star rating. You can text me with any comments, suggestions, feedbacks, and ideas at 470-588-1215. As always, transcripts are in the notes if you want to take a read. And I will see you next week. Take care.